We'll hear argument next in number 981101, Roan F. Dry versus United States. Mr. Trailer, you're the only lawyer to come by himself we've seen in a long time. <laughs> uh, Mr. Chief Justice, uh, members of the court, may it please the court, for our Socratic dialogue, I am armed with a borrowed Gideon and the fruit. This is these aides go right to the juggler of this case and the genesis of the case, which is chapter 3 of Genesis. What we have here is when the serpent extended the fruit to the offeree, free will said that the offeree had a right to accept or reject the gift. Assuming that that offeree was a tax delinquent, the government's position is that their, six, that their 6321 federal tax lien attached at the moment that the serpent extended the fruit. That well, is not. The, the IRS was not in paradise. <laughs> I, I'm. That, that, that is where the case starts is with the idea of free will, that people have a right to accept or reject a gift. The government don't believe that. Uh, they believe that when you have the right to make that decision and grab the fruit, that they're lean attached to that personal right of decision to elect. Uh, I don't believe that that's uh, the law of uh, this court, as, as announced by this court. I don't Mr. believe Taylor, that. The, the, the government is not relying on the good book, but it is relying on Title 26, the Internal Revenue Code. And there, the matter of disclaimer is dealt with in the estate and gift tax con- context, but it isn't. The permission for a disclaimer appears expressly in the estate and gift tax. There is no such provision for the Tax Lien Act. So the government is saying, 
Congress did not choose to, to provide for disclaimment in that context, so there is none. What Congress said was that for their tax lien to attach, the taxpayer must have an uh, must have property or rights to the property. When Mrs. Dry died at the instant of her death, the government's position is that Mr. Dry acquired a right to property or property in her state. That is not the law of of the state of Arkansas, and it is not the law that this court has pronounced. But as I understood it, Mr. Traylor, at least I think the the Eighth Circuit felt that way, that under Arkansas law, uh, your client acquired a property interest upon death because he he, he didn't uh, remit it for a number of months afterwards. Well, he has nine months within which to make that personal. Well, who owned the real estate during the nine months before the decision was made? Who owned it? The the law is very clear that the estate owned it. You don't think in the case of real property that the title went to the beneficiary? Absolutely not. Arkansas law? Absolutely not. Let me ask you this. Uh, Mr. Dry... Uh, have a right to transfer whatever right he had uh, to his mother's estate before he acquired it? He would acquire that right if and only if he accepted, took a bite of the apple. You don't think there's any way under Arkansas law that before all of this happened, even before his mother died, could he transfer whatever right he had to someone only if he took a bite of the apple. Uh, nothing vests until you accept the gift, the, the offer of the gift. You, there has to be an act of an acceptance. At that point, Mr. Dry would acquire an interest or property in his mother's estate sufficient for the tax lien to attach. It uh, never m- happened. M- Mr. Trailer, uh the district judge, who I'm sure must have been an Arkansas pras- practicing lawyer before he was appointed to the bench, found against you on this point, and the Court of Appeals, which certainly knows more about Arkansas law than we do, fo- found against you, saying that there was a property interest under Arkansas law. So you have kind of a heavy burden to persuade us otherwise. Well, they, they, very simply, uh, Judge Howard and A Circuit got it backwards. Uh, well, the, they the, don't realize it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, they will when this court instructs them what the fact of the matter is. And the fact of the matter is that the Fifth, the Fifth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit, on I'm on all fours and near identical facts found just the opposite on very recent opinions. But they didn't do it on the grounds that you had no property interest. They did it on the grounds that the disclaimer relates back. Isn't that right? I don't think, Your Honor. I think that they found that the taxpayer in both states never acquired an interest sufficient for a tax lien to attach. This is not really about the disclaimer and the relation back. It's whether anything ever vested a, a, a right in property or property itself 
that under federal law is sufficient. Let me, let me ask you this. If the administrator had announced that he was going to liquidate the estate and take the money and go to Las Vegas and have a good time, would you have had the right to do anything about that? Your client had the right to do anything about it? Uh, well, let's say my client was the administrator. Would he have sat back and said, well, too bad, I have no property interests or rights to property, so I guess the uh, administrator can look forward to a good time. Had he, had he disclaimed prior to that? Uh, that's, that's not my question. Uh, he, he hadn't taken any action one way or the other. The administrator is on the way to Las Vegas. Can he do anything about it? Yes. What? He can accept, he can take a bite of the apple and go to state court and say, enjoin that administrator from going to Las Vegas. And he would say when he got to court, would he not, I have a right uh, to inherit that property if I want to, and therefore he can't go to Las Vegas. He's bitten the apple and he's thick. The tax lien has Well, let's assume you are representing him and he says, I'm not biting the apple. I am simply asserting a right to bite the apple. Haven't bitten yet. Can he stop? I, b- I believe that by that that would be an act of acceptance by going to court and saying that I am protecting my interest. And he had a right to do that. I'm do- I, I, I am acknowledging. He, and, and he has a right to go into court and do that, doesn't he? He, he? he has a right to do that when he does it. But not before. That is exactly right. He creates it himself. It's inchoate. It's unvested. He creates the right himself. By an act of the free law of the state has nothing to do with it. An act of free will. Yes, but may I suggest a difference in your hypothetical? It seems to me that if the offeree said to the offeror, I'm not sure what I want to do. I'll let you know in 30 days. During that 30 days, the offeror could have taken the apple back. But in Arkansas, the a court would not have allowed the offeror to take it back for 30 days. The, the nine-month, he has a nine-month period in which to make a decision. Uh, this court, uh, well, Congress has said that you have a reasonable period of time within to, to make that election. The state of Arkansas has said that you have a reasonable period of time to make that election. Where, where did Congress say that? Uh, in, in, in their Identical, qualified, disclaimer for gift and generation. Where, where they said for purposes of this subchapter being the estate and gift tax. So it's clear that they didn't say it with respect to tax liens. Uh, it's in the same book, uh, I would it's say. not in the same subchapter. A different subchapter. I'm not a, a tax expert, but uh, I can tell you for sure that the, the model probate code of which Arkansas, Texas, Arizona, North, Di- North Dakota, and I, by my count, 30 other states have said that you have nine months as a reasonable, and, and, and it tracks the federal system. Mr. Trailer, wh- what about stock options? Are, are, are they taxable as property? I mean, I, I have an option to, to, to buy stock in a, in, a, in a company that I've worked for for a number of years. I don't have to exercise the option. I can just just let let it lapse. If you are a tax delinquent, a 6321 federal tax lien has attached to your rights in those stock options. And I thought so. Now, how does that? But how does that square with your case? Uh, I 
They I have free will. Well, because you I don't have to bite the apple. I can no, I can let the stock option have, just lapse. You have a vested interest. Well, I don't have a vested interest. I, I have a I have an ability because to assert an interest by by uh, uh, by agreeing to exercise the option, but I don't have to agree to exercise. Assuming the options are not underwater, then that stock option is property or rights to property for 6321 because it's transferable and has pecuniary value. Transferable? You could transfer the option to another. No, this this is a this is a non-assignable uh, option. Uh, the government says transferability, and I, I I really don't care about. But it has pecuniary value. It has pecuniary value only. So does your clients. Only if exercised. I have a non-transferable option to buy this stock. The employee can only exercise it personally. Can't assign it to anybody else. I believe the government can come seize that option. I'm and sure he can. And, and, step and, and I don't suit. understand why he can't come and seize your your, your client's uh, interest in the estate. Because nothing had ever vested. It was a personal right of decision that was without pecuniary value. It was non-transferable. It's not recognized at law or in equity in our How is that different from the stock? Does my stock option have any pecuniary value? If I cannot assign it to anybody, I couldn't sell it to anyone. I can't get a bank loan on it. The government can step into your shoes and exercise it. Of course. Can the government step in? Why? Because it's property. Because it's property. So why can't the government step into your client's shoes because and exercise it because it's property? Because the right of election is not property. It has no value. My client can't take a nickel for his right of decision. By definition, a disclaimer has to be without consideration. Otherwise, the government would have sued us under the Federal Debt uh, Debt Collection Procedures Act of 1990, the fraudulent transfer. In fact, that is what Judge Howard has called me and Judge Brantley, the chancellor and probate judge who adjudicated the disposition of this interest in question, called us both a fraudulent transferors. This thing is Mr. Dry's Disclaimer, his personal right of election, it's one of two things. It was either a lawful act or a fraudulent transfer. It's either a transfer or it's not. I I understand this very basic thing. It seems to me that if I have a right to receive the entire estate, a right to receive it if I want it, then I have something of large value, and it's up to me whether I want to realize on it. But to say that it's that it's valueless until he takes a bite of it. I mean, he's he can he can realize on it if he wants to. He's solely in control. Your Honor, it's been the common law of England and this country, codified by statute in Arkansas. Until you take that bite of the apple, you do not have a vested interest in her estate. That's, you say, is the Arkansas law. There are states, are there not, where where a person in the position of Mr. Dry would be deemed to have had the property and then given it up? Absolutely. And then, if we so if we took your view of it, 
there it would depend which state you come from um, whether the tax lien would attach. That is correct. And one of the beauties of our federal system that different states define their interests a little bit differently. Has the Supreme Court of Arkansas ever held that the sort of expectancy that you, that your client had before he uh, disclaimed was transferable or saleable, or that it was not transferable or saleable? Has never interpreted our probate code since the Model Act was adopted in '84. To answer your question, sure. I mean, if Mr. Bi- if no, mi- I, I'm, I'm asking you a specific question about our, about the holdings of the Supreme Court of Arkansas. Has the Supreme Court of Arkansas ever held that the sort of interest your client had before he disclaimed was or was not transferable or saleable? The court would say that it is a transferable interest, and once you have transferred it, you've bitten the apple, you're right yeah, to disclaim. No, I mean before you disclaim. During the period before you disclaim, has the Supreme Court of Arkansas ever said whether or not that interest was transferable or saleable? I'm doing my best, Your Your Honor. It's that is an act of the bite of the apple. And I'm not. Don't tell me about the bite of the apple anymore. Just tell me what the Supreme Court of Arkansas has done, or if it hasn't done anything. I mean, this, this seems the key to your whole case. And if there's a case out there that is, shows the Eighth Circuit and the District Court were wrong, you should surely have it. What is that case? The Fifth and Ninth Circuit decision. What about the Rutherford case of the State of Arkansas, which, as I understand it, says that one can agree to convey an expectancy in an estate. You can. All right. So why doesn't that indicate that a transfer, uh, an expectancy is transferable? It's property. It has value. That's what I get from the Rutherford case. And it it seems to me that's the case we ought to talk about. Now, maybe you have ways to distinguish it. Uh, because it's, it, begs the, it begs the question. The, the interest is already vested. The act of assignment of the... Of the An expectancy is uh, not vested. It is once you assign it. You can no longer disclaim. It would be a bar to disclaimer. Well, I guess after you uh, accept the, uh, the devise and while the state is still in, in administration... What you have might be called an expectancy. I'm not sure I'm that interested in what the Supreme Court of Arkansas has to say. Uh, uh, to come back to my uh, stock option uh, example, suppose uh, the state of Delaware, in order to make uh, make itself even more attractive to corporations, passes a law that says uh, henceforward stock options in the stock of Delaware corporations are not property. This would, would the federal government still be able to, to, to uh, tax those stock options? This court answered that question very clearly in the National Bank of Commerce case, which I believe to be the, the, the leading case 
on, on, on the question. And states can't define what is or what is not property. For purposes of the federal tax law. Yes, sir. So you say states can't define what is or is not property for purposes of federal tax law? They cannot. I thought our cases held just the opposite. That the, the statute says if you have property, the government can get it. But whether or not you have property is up to state law. You look at the interest under state law and then under National Bank of Commerce, you then look to see if, though, if that interest is property or rights to property. And the definition primarily is, does it have pecuniary value? So state law defines your rights, but whether that bundle of rights, whatever it is, rises to the level of being property under the Internal Revenue Code is a matter of federal law. Precisely because of your Delaware example. You can't let states define what is encumbered the tax man. Uh, then it's, it's irrelevant for our purposes that as a matter of Arkansas law, uh, the vesting and uh, the uh, decision to disclaim relates back to the date of death and that, therefore, the, as a matter of Arkansas law, he never had any property. That's irrelevant. Is that right? My best answer is you look in depth at state law to ascertain what is the nature of the interest or right under state law. And if you'll do that in this example, you will find that Mr. Dry never acquired an interest sufficient to be defined under federal law as property or rights to property. Mr. Traylor, I'm just curious about why the taxpayer, Mr. Dry, being in this situation, he didn't have his mother write a will leaving the estate to the daughter. We had an appointment with her on the day of her death to execute a will that that really affected, I mean, that's why my name is in the caption. I mean, that was... That was what was to happen. And uh, it's just one of those things in life that, in fact, Mr. Dry did not want to go talk to his mama and tell her. Mr. Dry was 70. His mama was almost 92, I believe, at the time. He didn't want to go tell his mother, sign this piece of paper so that that we don't have to be up here today. If he had done that, uh, what, what if you, uh, if it's not an intestate disposition, but there is a will and you are one of the beneficiaries of the will, all right? And what if you say, I don't want this property? You simply decline the, the bequest. That has been the common law of England and this country for you can do it. And Hundreds of years. You can do it. Absolutely. And are you, is that considered, uh, your interest in that bequest considered property for purposes of the federal tax law? Uh, the Fifth and Ninth Circuit said it wasn't. The only circuit that, sa- that has said it is, is the Eighth Circuit. No, I'm talking, yeah. I'm not talking about intestate disposition. I'm talking about a bequest. Uh, and. The Fifth and Ninth Circuit were both bequests. Were, were both bequests. 
you, you think the two should be the same? Absolutely. And that, that, that was the purpose that the uh, commissioners on uniform state laws got together and said, look, there isn't any reason for the last 500 years we have let people uh, have the freedom to decline gifts, inher- bequests, not make a person an owner against their consent, but if it's an inheritance, you will take whether you will or not. That was the law in England and the United States for a long time. The, the commissioners got together and said, look, there isn't any reason for that, particularly as you look at the federal tax consequences. One is a transfer, one is not. They got together back in the mid-60s. Uh, they, they removed the common law anomaly of that uh, of uh, feudalism is where that distinction arose hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and uh, the state of Arkansas has adopted it, Texas, Arizona, North Dakota, and by my count, 30 other jurisdictions. They have removed the distinction between the two of them. This case is uh, the Fifth Circuit decision is right on point, and it's uh, the, the best analysis that I have seen of it. Uh, uh, and the, the recent uh, Ninth Circuit decision, both of them, to me, uh, are very thoughtful decisions. And I understand that uh, this is not a very palatable result that has resulted. Mr. Dry uh, didn't pay his taxes. The government needs the taxes. And through this sleight of hand... And, but these people across the street over... The government doesn't really need the tax. They had a surplus, I think. <laughs> well, the people across the street in Congress can, can very easily change it. In their wisdom, they have, have chosen not to make a disclaimer, a fraudulent conveyance. Uh, in fact, in the state of Arkansas... Uh, it would, Mr. Dry would not have had this ability to have disclaimed up until about the mid-80s because in, at that time the law was an insolvent beneficiary could not disclaim. That bar was removed, oh, in the mid-80s. Chief Justice, if I might, if there's no other present questions, could I reserve the balance of my time? Yes, you may, Mr. Jones, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, I want... Jones, you don't have a a stick that you're going to turn into a snake or anything. (laughs) (laughs) I knew this day was going to come. I just was hoping it wouldn't be today. Uh, I want to say five seconds worth about the apple and then talk about the law. This case does not involve an offer of a gift. This case involves... An offeree doesn't have any legal rights in the, in the proposed gift. He can't enforce the offer. This case involves a, an, an intestate succession to which uh, petitioner as the sole heir uh, had lawfully and legally enforceable rights in Arkansas. Uh, with that background, I'd like to now talk about what the legal issue is. The legal issue is what's the scope of the federal tax lien. Section 6321 of the Internal Revenue Code creates a federal lien in all property and rights to property of any delinquent taxpayer. And in 
a long series of cases, beginning with the Glass City Bank case in 1945, the Court has plainly set out the way that we're supposed to answer these questions. First, you look to state law to see what the nature of the interest that the taxpayer has is. And then secondly, federal law governs the determination of whether that interest is property or rights to property under the federal lien. Would you treat testate and intestate the same? Almost certainly the answer would be the same. Certainly the method of answering the question is the same. The method is, did the taxpayer have a valuable, legally protected right to receive the property? If you treat testate the same, then what about uh, about, uh, uh, the government's uh, attaching uh, a tax lien to a gift that I've offered. I haven't died yet, but I've offered my son uh, a particular gift. Your son would have no legally protected right, no enforceable right to make you transfer that property to him. That's why I wanted to make that point at the beginning. This case does not involve that situation. What if if state law uh, is that, uh, like an offer, uh, the offer of a gift uh, remains open uh, until it's accepted? I'm not sure what that would mean, it, but if I understand it correctly, I mean, you're saying that at the I mean, moment— All he has to say is, I accept, and He the has a legally will. enforceable right under state law to, to accept. To accept the gift. That is a valuable interest, a leaf, valuable legally protected right that this Court has explained in many cases. It falls within the federal concept of what's property for purposes of the tax lien. So supposing that you have some state court cases on the subject that don't speak directly to the issue in question, what what, what is the test? What do you look for in state law to see whether the person has a legally protected interest? Well, uh, one clear example is is the situation we have here where it's the sort of interest that can be transferred, that the state will allow you to transfer the interest. Transferability is sufficient. That would certainly be sufficient to indicate that it was a legally protected right. But you don't think it's necessary? No, sir, not at all. I think there are lots of legally protected rights that involve property interests that you can't transfer, like a spendthrift trust. Indeed, that's where this money ended up in this case. Uh, it's true that but this is a little unusual in that here you have the Arkansas statute which says for all purposes, once it's disclaimed, it disappears. It's not like a stock option in that sense, which I guess for a lot of purposes of state law, even after the expiration date, state law might have had some bite. I mean, there are all kinds of state laws. So I looked up the bankruptcy law to see how federal law treats it. And it seems to me that under the bankruptcy provisions, this would not count as an interest in property for purposes of a, of a, of a uh, uh, fraudulent transfer. Uh, and I'm I, check I'm, it again, but I don't know if you've looked into that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not prepared to address that question. Well, if it Certainly. turns out that for bankruptcy purposes this isn't treated as an interest, I, I mean, I, why, why — no, you haven't thought about it, so I, I, you're not going to. Well, I, even without thinking about it at much depth at all, I mean, what we're dealing with is not only Section 6321 of the Internal Revenue Code, but a fairly large body of precedent of this Court under that statute. Well, you, on the precedent, I couldn't find any. That is to say, tell, the reason is statutorily, this doesn't count as a, as a property right for tax purposes because they have all these statutes, you know, that let you disclaim. Then I couldn't find something other than that. Now, tell There's me, no, what is it? What do you think? I'm not even sure what you're referring to, the statutes that let you dis- It's not, you don't have a gift tax, you don't have an estate tax. Only for those purposes. Yeah. The, the internal, what, and, and of course, that's an entirely different subject. Yes. The reason that the disclaimers are, are allowed if they're made within this window 
under — for purposes of the gift and estate tax is to avoid imposing a double tax on, on what's essentially a single flow-through. But, but the reason that the Federal tax lien reaches this property is because the taxpayer had that legally enforceable right to decide what he wanted to do with it, which was a valuable right. And the fairness interest that I think Congress is concerned about under the Tax Lien Act is the fairness of requiring taxpayers B, C, D, and E to pay more than their fair share to make up for the fact that taxpayer A hasn't paid his tax. You were going to tell me some Federal precedent. Yes. Well, to me, the case that really tells us how to decide this question is the National Bank of Commerce case, where the Court said that in view of the comprehensive nature of the of the statutory language that Congress employed, that this lien reaches every valuable right, every species of right or interest that a taxpayer might possess. Every species of right or interest. So if, in fact, you would say this reaches even a similar situation under a will where the testator isn't dead yet? Well, uh, I, the testator can revoke his will. We're talking exactly. We're, so, but, but what we're talking about is something that, that is a right that the taxpayer has. And, the, and, and under Arkansas law, for example, the taxpayer could assign his expectancy uh, in such an estate. And, and, and so I suppose we could take the position, which we don't need to reach in this case. Well, but, but the DEVIC has no, no action against the testator to, if, if the testator revoked. Right. So, that, I mean, it would be very hard to figure out what would be the, the value that the lien would attach to. But what I want to — the point I keep heading toward is that in National Bank of Commerce, what the Court said was that nothing more than common sense is required to conclude that a right to receive property — is itself a interest in property that the lien attaches to. And that is precisely the nature of the interest that the taxpayer in this case has. What, what is the legal error of the Fifth Circuit? Right. The Fifth Circuit in Leggett was wrong exactly for the reasons I've just described. In Leggett, the Court said that the Federal lien doesn't attach to this right to receive property because under State law, that is just a personal privilege, and it's not a property interest for purposes of State law. And that's flatly inconsistent with the two fundamental holdings of the Court in National Bank of Commerce, the first of which is that Federal law, not State law, governs in deciding what's property under the tax lien. And secondly, that the right to receive property is property under the tax lien. So you look to the State law to find the nature of the interest, and you look to the Federal law to see if it's property. That's exactly what the Court held in National Bank of Commerce. Well, that's, that's a little bit intricate, more intricate than one needs, perhaps. Well, it, these intricacies rarely arise, but when they arise, that's how they're to be resolved. What, what was the interest under Texas law? Was, was it Texas that the Fifth Circuit was deciding? Yes, it was, it, I, I, it was a interest under a will, but the, the principles of property that, uh, that govern the trans disposition of that interest are the same, whether it's intestate or testate. And, and indeed, as we pointed out in our brief, it, the state court, I mean, I'm sorry, the Fifth Circuit and Leggett seems to us to have erred in its description of how state law operates to say oh, all they had was a right of decision. They had a lot more than a right to decision, as the Eighth Circuit pointed out in this case under the similar provisions of Excuse Arkansas. me, a right of rescission or decision? Decision is what the, the Fifth Circuit called it. Uh, under, the, under the state law, the, they have an absolute right to receive the property without doing anything. They don't have to make a decision any more than I have to make a decision to withdraw money out of my bank account. It's still my property. If property. I withdraw it. He has a property right, but does he have a property right in the assets of the estate? Let's, yes. 
Well, I, I find it. As a right to suppose, proceed. Suppose, suppose I make you uh, a contractual offer that is open for 90 days. And under most states' laws uh, uh, nowadays, if I say it's open for 90 days, uh, you, you, you can count on that. That is worth something. It's, it's a beneficial contract to you. If it's an irrevocable offer for 90 it's days. It's an irrevocable offer for 90 days. Then you have a right to accept it. It's a valuable you have right. A right to accept to it. Right. Now, lien. what would you slam? What would you slam your lien on? My well, the, the property that that I have a, the, the, that's the subject of the contract. What I would the lien would be. I would have the. I would. Ha, it, it depends at what stage we're at. If 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 I. If the 90 days I have gone to, by. The 90 days to, now gone by. The guy never exercised the. Uh, oh, the offer wasn't accepted. It wasn't accepted. Has it expired? It's expired. Well, then now. there's nothing left for us to attack. Well, he had a power to accept it. He just didn't. Just as in this case, he had a power to accept no, it, but, but he didn't. He doesn't have a power to accept it. He he has the right to accept it. It's not a power. It's a right. He okay, can. Well, call, I'll can, call it a right in the other case too. Then he can I, transfer this. The no, this really is a fundamentally different concept. He can transfer this right away. He can. He can. He can. Quote, disclaim it, which the court said in the Jewett and in, in, in Irvine case was an indirect transfer of it. He can get rid of it. But as this court's held in Bess and Wait, Phelps, when What do you mean transfer it? Can, can he give it to somebody else to accept it? Who, we're talking about this taxpayer? Yes. Yes, he could transfer his right to receive the property by an assignment under state law. Indeed, you don't have to look further than the state's disclaimer provisions to see that an assignment can — this interest can be assigned because once you've assigned it, yeah. you can then no longer disclaim it. Well, I suppose the same in the, in the contract case. I could, I could say, you know, if I accept this contract, I assign to you my rights under it. And the federal you can't accept it for me, but if I do accept it, you'll have my rights under it. I see no difference in the two cases, and I, and, and I don't. There is in other words, I, I, I acknowledge that that it's property, but is the property the assets of the estate, or is it rather this this right to accept it, which is intangible, and which I don't know how you can how you can. The, the easiest way to answer it is by reference to the court's decision in the Phelps case. The federal lien attaches to the property and to however it is transferred and to anything substituted for it. And because of that, the lien exists in, at all phases of this I'm sorry, at all phases of this well, you, factual pattern. But, but it, it seems to me that's too fast to say the, the lien attaches to the property. I agree. But what is the property? It is not the assets of the estate. It is his right to, uh, to obtain those It's his right to receive them to, uh, initially. And then when he transfers that right, the lien follows that along to whoever obtained that right. In this case, it was his daughter. And then it attached to the assets themselves when she received them. And then it continued to attach to the assets as they were transferred to the trust. And because it continued to exist in these properties, the properties were lawfully seized for collection of taxes. That's, that's the, the fact pattern. There, there was one other opinion of a Court of Appeals that I do need to discuss, the, the MAPES decision in the Ninth Circuit, which reached a similarly incorrect result as Leggett, but did it by a different route. What the court held in, in the MAPES case was that the federal lien doesn't attach to the to the taxpayer's right to receive the estate because once the 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 uh, taxpayer renounces the interest, it's said to be uh, renounced for all purposes under state law, and the court said therefore the taxpayer should be treated as if he never owned an interest in the property. The the clear 
in, in error in that decision is the Court didn't cite any of this Court's decisions, and in particular didn't cite the Mitchell case, where this Court held that a retroactive renunciation of a property interest, and I'm quoting, should not be misinterpreted as an indication that the taxpayer never owned an interest in the property. This Court has consistently held that you look to the realizable economic value of the taxpayer's rights, and you don't look to the state law fictions of retroactive renunciations and disclaimers. As the Court held in the Irvine case, federal tax law is not struck blind by the state's legal fiction of a retroactive disclaimer. The lien attached to the rights at the time that it arose, and subsequent dispositions of that uh, of the interest could not destroy the federal lien. I, um, unless the court has, I do actually. I might uh, one, uh, and you're probably not going to have an answer because we haven't looked it up, and I haven't either. But as as I was looking at the bankruptcy law, the reason that I was concerned is the following: imagine the the, the imagine the taxpayer in this case had done just what he did, but he did it 30 days before going bankrupt. What, if I'm right about the bankruptcy law, the interpretation would mean, if we got yours, is that his creditors, who are private, couldn't get at the money. And the reason is it would not be a, quote, interest in property. But the government, as taxpayer, would be able to get at the money, and the reason would be because it is, quote, a right to property. Well, that seemed, you know, a little that, odd. That, that is possible. I, I'm not in a position to say yay or nay, but I, I, I can say it's a very common situation that the federal tax lien applies in situation where private creditors have no opportunity to. Uh, I mean, that's what the best case was precisely about, and the courts held that that it doesn't matter whether under other laws, state law in that case, whether you have a whether other creditors could seize that. This is a question of federal law under Section 6321. And under the federal law, if the federal law provides a lien, that's the, only, that's the answer to the question. Mr. And Jones, can I, can I pursue? Uh, you, you, you said that the, the lien attaches to his right to get the property. If he exercises that right, it attaches to the property, which is the product. Um, but if he doesn't exercise the option and somebody else gets the property, that I, I don't see it as being the product of his option anymore. I don't know what you mean by doesn't exercise the option that this taxpayer doesn't have to do anything to get the property. It's his automatically. That's the point I was trying to make earlier. He can transfer his right, but if he doesn't do anything, if he doesn't write a disclaimer, he doesn't make an assignment, that property comes to him. Why? Because he already has a vested right to receive that property under state law. Well, indeed, this was real property, I take it, and I Some thought the title went to Mr. Dry immediately, subject to this state law right to disclaim later. But I thought he held the title Immediately. Is that right? Or that's, wrong? that's the way the Court of Appeals described it, and that's my understanding of Arkansas law as well. I mean, the Court of Appeals, uh, I. Th- but again, that's not necessary to your position, as I understand no. your position. No. It would be different, though, would it not, if state law provided that a beneficiary, uh, in, in, in tested, uh, an heir, has to file a piece of paper in court identifying himself or herself and saying affirmatively, I want the money. It, it would only be different in the, if the right were not no, He would have no right to the money unless he filed that piece of paper. Well, if, if they had the right to the money 
They had a legally protected right to — But he had right to take to, an affirmative that, step to that do it. That goes back to the — the colloquy I had with Justice Scalia, if he has a legally protected right that is vested in him to, to receive this it's money — It's a matter of state law, though. The nature of the interest — the nature of the interest, he has nothing unless he files that piece of paper. Well, you, you, that's an interesting point. I really haven't thought about it's that. It's different. If he had to take a specific act and he doesn't take the act, that, might, that would be a harder problem, and I'm not sure how we come out. This case is not like that. See, the, have, the, and eighth, I want to point out the Eighth Circuit said that he doesn't have to do anything. No, I understand. I understand that. But the, the Congress case was a bank account, and he clearly owned the money. It's just a question of how much between the joint account. Isn't that right? Well, it was, you relied there on the fact he had a right to withdraw the money. He had, he had a right to receive the money, which is the — I'm using the words of the Court in the National Bank of Commerce case. And they pointed out that it didn't matter whether that was a right that state law would call a property right. It didn't matter that he couldn't get the money until someday in the future. What mattered was that at the time the lien attached, he had a vested right to get that money at some point. Thank you, Mr. Jones. Uh, Mr. Trailer, you have five minutes remaining. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, the government is, is taking all of my cases. Uh, they're Mitchell, uh, down in Louisiana, uh, those delinquent taxpayers, they had a present right. And then they tried to disclaim it, and the court said, look, uh, an act of God cannot remove a, fa- a federal tax lien once it's attached. And I agree with that. The, question, the problem here is it never attached. Uh, Irvine, uh, the court recently has stated that that the, this idea of acceptance or rejection of estates can be based on uh, a, a gift theory. That that that, that is what we're talking. We're not talking about a mechanism to defeat creditors. We're talking about transfer transfer and succession of estates. Best, uh, that's my case. Uh, the delinquent taxpayer had, at any time could go get the cash value of his life insurance policies, the fact that he later executed a disclaimer. You can't, disc, you can't, a state disclaimer can't extinguish a federal tax lien once it's attached. Only people who can do that are the people across the street. Uh, Two interesting things. Uh, the government says that in his opening statement that uh, I, that this idea of the bite of the apple, look at page 22 of their brief. It, it, it says uh, in, in the second full paragraph, an offer which can be accepted or rejected is itself an interest in property. Here's an offer you can accept or reject. The government lien has attached. I submit to you that that ain't the law of the country. Well, it's it, the government's changed its position a little bit I, uh, and, 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 and says that uh, uh, if the offer is framed in such a way that the property is yours unless you affirmatively reject, you have property on which the lien can the act The act of doing nothing is an affirmative act that cooks your goose. The act of doing nothing is an affirmative act? Exactly. Let me, passage con- of let me t- contemplate that for a minute. <laughs> Over the passage of time, and I would like to... You mean the statute doesn't say interest, it says right. It says you have a right to property. 
And if you do nothing and you get the property and legally you're entitled to it, how don't you have a right to property? Uh, didn't say interest. You have a right uh, to accept or reject. But, but more importantly, I would like to go to your bankruptcy question. Well, I just distinguished it away because I said it uses interest and not right. On the you go ahead. And on the it. bankruptcy uh, question, whether a trustee has a right to avoid a disclaimer made within, oh, I guess it'd be four months, uh, the government ought to read note 17 of its own brief, where they represent that the trustee does have such a right. I submit to you that they do not read that section of the bankruptcy code properly. The, the only thing that generally the bankruptcy trustee can avoid are transfers. Disclaimers, by definition, cannot be a transfer because you cannot accept any consideration Mr. for it. Taylor, I, do I take it from what you just said, cannot be a transfer, that the estate gift tax provision for disclaimer, that was unnecessary, that the, the, the provision for it for purposes of that subchapter Congress didn't need to do that. Congress had to do it because it treated people differently. If you received under a will, you were not taxed. If you received it by an inheritance, you will take it whether you will or not. You can transfer it the next day, but you're going to be taxed. And people raised Cain and said, what's the difference? Congress said there is no difference. So we're going to treat both of you the same. And then the, the state law commissioners got on the same bad wagon. Thank, thank you, Mr. Trailer. Thank you. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.